So the only two song titles I could, or episode titles I could think for this episode were either Bet or Jack. Because <laughs> vlogging like, Jet? Can this be vlogging? Vlogging <laughs> Jet? Yeah, I know it deviates. But. Or <laughs> Flow Jet Molly. Flow Jet Molly. That should be like it's a new street drug. Flow Jet. <laughs> yeah. Flow Ride as little brother. Flow Jet. Flow Jet Molly. I like that. Maybe maybe that's what we'll do. All right. Hello. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> Morning throat stuff. What were you doing last night, bro? What were I you was doing? Last- <laughs> saving the world yeah, from yeah, disease. Yeah. <laughs> Valiant. Very brave. Yes. Hello, and welcome to Shuffle, episode 14. Please make sure to listen to the five songs that we will be discussing in this episode. Links to Spotify and YouTube playlists can be found in this episode's description on our brand new website, which I'm working on. It's looking hot. It is. It's looking very good. Thank it's you. looking very good. Thank you. Yeah, I was. I thought it was about time. It's not. Oh, so that's you doing that. I thought that was our intern uh, putting yeah. him to work. Just Woo. unpaid and just <laughs> treating him like shit. Shuffle brought to you by unpaid labor. <laughs> <laughs> you can guarantee, guaranteed, man. And that's the shuffle guarantee. <laughs> yeah, that's the shuffle guarantee. It has been two episodes since our last ICP incident. Mm-hmm. Just I, two. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean we had some special stuff in oh, there, yeah. but yeah. yeah. Since our last official episode with an ICP incident, it has been two. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. It feels like more, but... Yeah, I know, man. Every day. After an ICP incident happens, you don't take a day for granted, man. <laughs> Everything's <Dude>. changed. <laughs> Everything's life, changed. Life is... It's like when you survive a car crash. It's like <laughs> candy tastes sweeter and salt tastes saltier. Yep. People I hated, I love now. I don't have any ICP news this week, but I might have a little something up my sleeve coming later in the episode. Is it one of those butcher knives, and then you're going to put on face paint and run around? Don't give away (laughs) spoilers. All right, all right. But I do have some news for the Skrillex saga. Oh, nice. It's not very music-related, but I feel at this point... He is it's music. just worth keeping. <laughs> he is music. <laughs> so a a Brooklyn-based witchcraft group has hexed Martin because they believe the justice system is not doing an appropriate enough job at punishing him. Mm-hmm. So call on the devil, man. I dig it. And while the group has no direct line to Shkreli, they do claim that Martin's reported loss of $15 million over Kanye's new album was not long after the hex was cast. Oh, ho, ho. oh all right. All right. Nice. Watch out, Martin. <laughs> now, I know we spent a lot of time in the Kanye News Corner last episode, but I have a couple more all right. tidbits at. All right. So first of all, Tyler, the creator of Odd Future, and I actually don't know if I've ever said this guy's name out loud. Is it just ASAP Rocky, or is it A-Money AP Rocky? Is it Aesop Rocky? Well, there's Aesop Rock. That's a whole different guy. Aesop Rock is a white dude rapper. This guy is A-Money Sign AP Rocky. ASAP? I've never... Can we just call him Aesop? Aesop. Just makes it easier. But Aesop Rock is actually a really good <laughs> rap. I, he's a good hip-hopsman. 
Can we just assume it's the same guy? Okay. For the ease. same guy. It's not accurate, but it's just easier. So, so easier. <laughs> yeah, easier, y'all. So Tyler the Creator and this <laughs> Aesop Money guy recently released a video of Tyler rapping over Kanye's Freestyle 4. Yeah. I believe it. they titled it What the Fuck's Happening Right Here or something yeah. like that. And it's fucking great. Yeah, you should post it if I, you I'm can. I'm going to. Man, yeah, it's, that's really fucking good. As, I love what he did with the what if we fuck right now? What if we fuck right And he just changed it to like, what the fuck right now? Mm-hmm. I was, even that, it was like, made the song so well, much better. And like, just fuck. his intensity justified the insanity of that track. Yeah, 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 exactly. And yeah, yeah. I believe you said this, so quoting Dominic Manthe, <laughs> he said that this, what Tyler did with that song was the DMX shit that Kanye was looking for when he said how music's watered down these yep. days. I, yeah. That honestly, that's the hardest sounding track on Life with Pablo. Yeah, and it's not even on the track. No, it's not. <laughs> so yeah, you guys should definitely check it yeah. out, and hopefully Tyler makes more of Kanye's music going forward. Yeah. I guess. Can Tyler and Chance just do all Kanye yeah. music? Yeah, Tyler and Chance <laughs> start a new group called Kanye West. <laughs> wow, that would be awesome. Better than the uh, real Kanye. That'd be like so punk rock. Wow, that would be oh, good. That'd be great. Tyler, chance, get on it. Yeah, wow. Calm down. And uh, in other Kanye news, corner news, Kanye and Dead Mouse recently <laughs> faced off. Did you hear about this? Yeah, I gotta say, Kanye actually was pretty fucking funny. I gotta give Kanye, him, he I was think, funny. outdid it. Yeah, like, he was good. He was good. So, Kanye recently tweeted a photo of a screenshot of a YouTube video of a Sufjan Stevens song. In the tweet just said day three. And Dead Mouse saw this tweet and noticed that one of the tabs in Kanye's browser window was open to the pirate <laughs> Which if you remember to the last episode, Kanye is allegedly trying to take them to court right now over mm-hmm. illegally distributing the life of Pablo. And Dead Mouse started tweeting, What the fuck, Kanye West? Can't afford serum, dick, and serum is a audio mixing software program thing i guess yeah he then tweeted let's start a kickstarter to help kanye west afford a copy of serum he needs a small loan of 200 dollars <laughs> hashtag pray for yeezy and of course <laughs> kanye took to twitter to respond mm-hmm. and he i don't know what he was trying to get at he was using very weirdly placed hashtags throughout these tweets. Yeah, that had to just be some, like, fantasy in his head. Yeah, so, like, the, this first <laughs> one says, hashtag, space, okay, very serious question. So, like, and, and it wasn't using it as a hashtag, because usually with a hashtag, there's no spaces between yeah. the words. There were spaces between all these words. Oh, sorry. The first tweet says, dead mouse. Is that a person, is that person's name pronounced dead mouse 5? <laughs> Because Dead Mouse spells his name D A D E A D M A U, the number five. five. I mean, what kind of pretentious fuck uses <laughs> the number five to mean the letter S? S yeah. Honest to God, the first time I saw Dead Mouse's name, I was like Dead Mouse Five. I said the same thing. I like mean, 10 I can't. Years ago. Who in their right mind would ever do that? Yeah, yeah. Just fucking idiots. Like, Dead especially Mouse. like if someone was like have a podcast too and they'd use the number five instead of an s you have to be a real douche fucking jerk off. real douchebag oh man i didn't even realize the connection yeah <laughs> we should cross promote with that guy yeah we need to dead mouse <laughs> hit 
hit me up. Dead, dead, dead five. Dead mouse shuffle. <laughs> there you go. Huh? There you go. Oh. Stream it on title. Dead mouseful. Dead mouseful. Shit, man. <laughs> Call us dead mouse five. Call us. We can help you out. Let's share that five, bro. Yeah. Come on. We'll team up against Kanye. <laughs> we'll take him down. So Kanye makes fun of dead mouse's name, then says this hashtag. Okay, very serious question. Hashtag, whose job is it to carry your head on the plane? <laughs> then he does the pound sign, then actually writes the words hashtag. Yeah, then then he puts it. the pound sign again. Do you check the Mickey Mouse head or carry on? Hashtag, does it get hot? Hashtag, okay, another super serious question. Is there a portable fan situation? <laughs> pound sign, words, hashtag. You raised title subscription by a whooping, and then he posted three little mouse emojis. <laughs> downloads. So by, I'm guessing by a whole whooping three downloads. Yeah, yeah. Hashtag, I'm bored. Hashtag, hashtag, hashtag. When you get married, will your wife have a giant mini mouse head? Hashtag, this brightened up my day. Thank you, dead mouse five. <laughs> do you do birthday parties? My daughter loves mini mouse. Can you please bring the mini mouse head? Not yours. She specifically likes Minnie Mouse. <laughs> I need you to perform at her party with specifically a Minnie Mouse Dead Mouse 5 head, not a Mickey Mouse Dead Mouse 5 head. And this is probably my favorite tweet. <laughs> I'm very detail oriented and I will know the difference. So don't try to just throw a bow on the original head. Oh, I want good. to stream you performing in Minnie Mouse head on title. Jesus Christ. Kanye also went on to allege that he staged the original picture to get it a reaction and that the laptop wasn't even his. I honestly got to think, why would someone like Kanye West need to download a $200 mixing program? Well, and in the picture, the tab just says Pirate Bay. Like, yeah. this whole yeah. serum thing was completely conjecture on dead mouse's part because like the next tab over i think the next tab over said serum oh, okay it maybe. just said serum pro something and then the next one just said pirate bay and maybe had one character to suggest that it was the serum but yeah it's conjecture it's conjecture, yeah oh and then i didn't even bother writing down dead mouse's response to Kanye, it was just it was just weak as fuck it was just something like you should perform because you're a clown yeah and he's like and i just Ooh. woke up so i'm going back to bed I can deal with idiots, no problem. And then he just really didn't do anything. Dead Mouse, he kind of has like a history of being just like a douchebag. Right? Yeah, but yeah. as well as having a history of being a douchebag, he's also like famously known for like getting into beefs and arguments on Twitter. So like people were expecting more, more yeah. from him. Yeah. I don't know. Jay Z gave him a call. Come on, Dead Mouse. Like, <laughs> Dead Mouse. Team five. up with us. We'll write your insult tweets. Yeah, we, we got can that. have fives for S's for days. We got three unpaid interns, and they will write those all day <laughs> if you want. Dead Mouse. Dead Mouseful. Dead Mouseful. Dead Mouseful. That's, That's the us. shuffle guarantee. <laughs> That's the shuffle guarantee. All right. In other music news, did you hear about the controversy surrounding Swan's lead singer, Michael Gira, at all? I did. Ugly story all around. Yeah. So Michael Gira was recently accused by singer-songwriter Larkin Grimm of raping her in the spring of 2008 while she was recording her album, Harplar, which was on Gira's Young Gods label. 
and she says that Gira continued to make unwanted sexual advances towards her in the months that followed. And after her albums released and accompanying tours, she confronted Gira about it, who then dropped her from the label and mm-hmm. cut all ties to her. Mm-hmm. Gira and his wife immediately took to Facebook to deny these accusations. And they basically try to paint this picture that Larkin is mentally challenged or unstable, I should say. She's like emotionally unstable. Yeah. That she's in love with Gira and she's just bitter that she can't be with him and that he dropped her from her label and she's just trying to get back at him. And wait, just I couldn't quite figure out, is it is it Gira and his ex wife now? I, I like it is, so the 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 two people who made statuses were Gira and his current wife. And his current wife. All right. All yes. Right. Well, at the time in 2008 when this happened, he was married to someone else. Oh, all Neither right. his current <laughs> wife, Jennifer Gira, or this Larkin Grimm girl. A uh, swan action going on, yeah. Gira. Man. Swan song. <laughs> um, so, basically, Gira just said, like, these are false. And then his wife took to Facebook with this really long post saying that while she can't legally show it, she has physical evidence proving that Larkin is lying and that we will soon know that all of this is fake. Hmm. But Hmm. to add another layer on top of it, at this point, Gira's Facebook post is the only thing that still stands. Larkin and Gira's wife have deleted all of their posts. Uh-huh. I'm sure it's probably for legal reasons, like if they're actually going to court with this. No both doubt. Of their no teams doubt. Just like, you got to yeah. take that shit down. Don't show your hand, even if you. I mean, just if you're a lawyer, it's like, come on, 101. Don't say anything. No. God damn it. So yeah. then, it seemed in poor taste. I'll be honest. I agree. Those Facebook posts were in poor taste. Well, and. I probably shouldn't even say anything. I just doing all of this in the public eye on Facebook in the first place on both sides of theirs is just like, this is not the way to go about this. Yeah. I'm not saying either of them are lying. I don't know anything, but I just, I don't think that's the best way to go about it. Yeah. Yeah. See, it feels like a smear campaign in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. Which I guess if these accusations are true, I don't blame her for wanting to smear his credibility. Yeah. It's a horrible thing to do. Yeah. So a few days after these Facebook posts, Gira made an official statement through his publicist admitting that while he was recording this album with Larkin and while he was married to his first wife, he and Larkin were heading towards a, quote, consensual romantic moment, but called it off before anything happened because it didn't feel right. Mm-hmm. So he admits that they were maybe going to do something, but they stopped. Yeah. Larkin then responded, saying that even if that's how he remembers it happening, that's not what happened. She was still raped. And she thinks it's disgusting that he's unable to conceive of himself as a rapist because he raped her. Mm. And then she also released a song called I Don't Believe that is written for survivors of abuse. Wow. As well. Larkin has also made comments about how she feels bad for Kesha, which I don't know if you heard anything about Kesha. Yeah, right. I'll talk about that in a second. Yeah. But she said, at least I got out of my record deal with the rapist. So... And more horrible news, Kesha recently was denied the ability of ending her contractual contractual obligation to record with Sony 
She recently took Sony to court, claiming that her longtime producer and collaborator, Dr. Luke, drugged her and sexually assaulted her. To which Dr. Luke and Sony then countersued Kesha for extortion. And the judge ruled that, along with seeing no evidence of said sexual assault, Sony has promised Kesha that she is not required to work with Dr. Luke and she is still legally obligated to record the album with Sony. Mm-hmm. Kesha insists that Sony has told her outside of court that they side with Luke, they are going to refuse to promote this album, and they're going to like put as much minimal effort and money into it as possible because they're mad at her. Wow. And the judge says, you're just making that up. Yeah. Yeah. And... What's even more horrifying is like the whole time this is happening in court, she's just there like crying uncontrollably. Like she yeah. look, looks physically scared and sad. Damn. Ugly stuff. Yeah, that stuff. I gotta say, it's very hard to make like a a critical judgment on any of it because how the hell? How can we know? How can we? Well, that's the. I gotta say, the people. It's easy to have a very quick reaction to it, but like, um. Unless you're there, like in the courtroom, you see all the, you know, you're a part of the jury, you see all the evidence, et cetera, et cetera, then you can reach a fair assessment. But I don't know. It's, I, I, I feel weird when I read these stories because I just simply don't know. And it's part of the American way. You assume innocence, they'll prove him guilty. Yeah. You get rid of that. What do you got? I don't know. Yeah. But it's so hard to prove. That's it's, the other it's, thing. It's, it's so very hard, hard to, prove. to prove. And the system is somewhat rigged against people that get victimized so it's very hard it's yeah very hard. and you also like wonder like why what what are they getting out of like lying about this true at yeah. the same time it's yeah. like especially with kesha's case like she only has things to lose because i'm sure like she's gonna have to pay back a down payment from like yeah if all she wants is to not make an album with sony i really don't see like the benefit of her lying about this. And it's not like her career was going badly. Huh? No, she she's had that pit bull very hit. popular. Yeah, come on, man. So, I, yeah. I, I really, this, the Michael Gira, Larkin, Grimm thing is a little more great to me, but the Kesha thing just seems fucked up. Yeah. Me. Yeah. Not that the other one's not fucked up, but the other one, there's a lot of he said, she said with that. With yeah. the Kesha one, it seems like there's got to be some change in like the legal process to like have some more common ground. Because if all, I mean, not to get like wonky on it, but like you got to have evidence. If you don't have evidence, real convincing evidence, then it, it then it really the victim kind of will they just don't lose. To me, there's got to be some change of like some kind of middle ground, at least like some option where if someone feels that they've been abused they can at least opt out of contracts like this but again this part will probably get edited out it's too wonky but the legal can you imagine the legal precedent set if someone is able to to completely nullify a legally binding contract just because they said something that can't be proved period yeah, that's that, true that's a crazy that's why it's so hard oh it's hard that's tough man that's tough yeah, we'll right, put right. the unpaid interns on this. They'll, they'll figure it out. They'll pour over the out. documents, but but without a doubt, there's. I wouldn't be surprised if the music industry in general is pretty misogynistic. What? <laughs> they don't have a good track record. That, I mean, that would 
that would involve there having to be some like well-established patriarchy of some sort. Yeah, and that's that's, that's not bullshit. True. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's uh let's move on to some happier things. So the recently the Violent Femmes played on the Late Show with Stephen Colbert, and did a rendition of their famous piece "Blister in the Sun," and Colbert joined them to sing it, and he fucking killed it. I just read about it. I haven't heard it. He uh. He really committed to. Uh, he just did great. I'll post <laughs> nice. the video. Yeah, of it. yeah. I don't have much to say other than it's very enjoyable to watch. Nice. Great song. Nice. Great band. Colbert is awesome. He's a pretty decent singer. I've He's seen a very him good sing singer. before, yeah, and I was shocked. I don't think I posted or talked about it, but recently over the holidays, him and Henry Rollins from Black Flag did a rendition of Carol of the Bells on his show. Oh yeah, wearing like matching Christmas sweaters with each other's faces <laughs> on them, and it was a very kind of Trans-Siberian Orchestra-esque version because it's Henry Rollins, so it was like kind of like it kept switching, like it was like a dual song where like it was very traditional and classy with yeah. Stephen, and then it'd go into like a hard rock rendition of it when they switched over to Henry. Nice, nice, nice. <laughs> so did you hear that Animal Collective almost scored the 2011 movie Limitless starring Bradley Cooper? No. Uh, what? <laughs> yeah, it recently came to public knowledge that they were in the talks of scoring that movie. Really? Uh, wow. Geologist has been quoted saying, we got asked to do some music for that movie Limitless while they were filming it, but when we talked to the director, he just wanted something that sounded like an instrumental version of Summertime Clothes, which I believe was off of Mary yep, Weather. Mary Weather, yep. And he said, which we weren't very excited about. <laughs> and that's, that's as far as it got, but I Damn. just, I can't imagine... Wow. A big like blockbuster Bradley Cooper action movie with Scored animal collective with animal music. Collective. Wow. I mean, I props for like trying to like connect some yeah. random dots out there. Wow. But I don't know if it would have worked out for the best or not. Yeah, I would. I'm not surprised to hear they just wanted a watered down version of a poppy of, song. Of their like most arguably most like <laughs> catching mainstream sounding music. Yeah. Yeah. So and other news. Iggy Pop posed as a nude model in a life drawing class at the New York Academy of Art. The resulting drawings will be showcased in a fall 2006 Brooklyn Museum exhibition titled Iggy Pop Life Class. Hmm. Artist Jeremy Deller, the mastermind behind the project, had this to say. The life class is a special place in which to scrutinize the human form. As the bedrock of art education and art history, it is still the best way to understand the body. For me, it makes perfect sense for Iggy Pop to be the subject of life class. His body is central to an understanding of rock music and its place within American culture. <laughs> his body has witnessed much, and it should be documented. I love not his body of music. I love that. his physical, his literal body. fucking body. Wow, wow, yeah. And after it opens up in Brooklyn, it's supposedly going to be touring the country. So look out for Iggy, Pop, Iggy Pop's naked body coming to a city wow. near you. Wow. I hope someday I can be famous enough. I can make money just standing around naked. Well, actually, he didn't even stand. There's, there's a picture from at least one of the poses. It was just him, like, laying sprawled out on the floor. <laughs> and there's, like, a, you know, and artists all around him drawing him. Wow. 
Iggy Pop's a great guy. Yeah, shit, man. So did you hear that the Foo Fighters aren't breaking up? <laughs> I'm heartbroken. <laughs> I thought they were, man. I, How I, could they tease I, us like this? I guess everyone... <laughs> I guess the Foo Fighters drummer, Taylor Hawkins, I think is his name, made some yep. comment about how they were haven't seen that much of each other recently and they were taking a break and the internet fucking lost its mind and yep. tons and tons and tons of speculation posts were made about the Foo Fighters breaking up. And they released a... Pretty funny video, I didn't promising see it. I that they're not breaking up. I yeah. I won't give it away too much, but it's worth watching. It's, okay, it's pretty I'll fucking good. I'll, yeah. I'll post it. Last bit of news: recently, an alleged tour writer for Arcade Fire was posted online from their Reflector tour. Huh. And the writer has some pretty interesting demands for like the requirements for backstage really yeah so yeah, yeah. some of the things that they demand be backstage if you're not familiar tour writers basically the contract that a venue signs with a band when they come to perform and it specifies all the legal things about money and time and place and there's usually a section dedicated to what the band wants backstage and i know it's been done before everyone talks about the, the ridiculous things yeah, artists yeah, demand yeah. now arcade fires uh, publicist or representation has claimed this is not true mm -hmm. but it's i'll read it anyway. yeah yeah so yeah. some of the things they demand fair trade gummy bears <laughs> clove cigarettes all visible written words must have correct spelling and grammar that they can see Mushrooms that are harvested locally. A craft corner with assorted paints and canvas as a creative outlet. One Garfield I Don't Do Mondays t-shirt, size large. Jesus Christ. One bag of locally produced sustainable ice. <laughs> and they're very, very strict on specifying that loose tea leaves, non-bagged, must be loose black chai tea leaves. Wow. That kind of sounds like I, I could believe. That I could believe it too. Yeah, you know, I've heard though, because like remember the Jack White guacamole. Yeah, okay. And I've heard since then that like that a sometimes the musicians themselves don't even like write these, and b there's and I don't know how true this is, but there's like a culture of like you write these down like as a joke, and there's a sort of like reciprocity where like the people that work at the venues know that. They're not necessarily really looking for this and stuff. And you just kind of like do it to see if it actually shows up yeah, in the exactly. green room. And I don't know if that's true. That could obviously be someone just, you know, doing PR to cover up. But well, and also, this sounds kind of believable. Also, after Wynn's recent interview with winning that all-star basketball game, it wouldn't surprise me if like they did this just to fuck around with people. <laughs> yeah. Like, they seem yeah. like they have kind of, like, a dark sense of humor. Or yeah, like, absolutely. You know, yeah. they're very coy. I, I don't know. Yeah. So, uh, moving on from music news, what have you been listening to lately? Honestly, I've been listening to Life of Pablo again and again, and periodically I'll feel like we were too hard on it. And then I'll listen to other songs and I'll be like, we were too too soft. <laughs> And uh, I'm still just stuck there between loving parts of it. I'm like, fuck, this is good. And being like, this is so goddamn bad. 
So I'm still right it's, where I it's was. It's a very polarizing album. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's like I said, parts of it were like an eight or a nine, and parts of it were like a two or a three. Yeah. So I have no choice but to give it like a five. Yeah. Or a yeah. six. Yeah, same. Same. And the new Kendrick Lamar drop. Yeah, that's what I was going to talk yeah, about. Yeah, which I think you've listened to a little more than me. Yeah, I think you kind of half-assedly <laughs> listened to it last night. Passively, yeah. Well, yeah, so Kendrick, out of nowhere, released an album. Uh, allegedly, a couple hours prior to its release, Top Dog Entertainment, his company that he's with, at a loss for words, hinted that there would be a 2016 Kendrick Lamar release, and then yeah. little did we know, hours later, it would just appear <laughs> online on all streaming services and as a free download, I believe. Yeah. I might be wrong I about that. So. so it's called Untitled Unmastered, and according to Kendrick, they are all, it's a collection of unused demos from To Pimp a Butterfly. Yeah. Now, Kendrick's famously known for performing these untitled, unreleased songs when he's doing, like, publicity circuits. So, actually, two of the untitled songs he's performed on the Colbert show and Jimmy Fallon's show are on this album. The untitled performance from the Grammys is not. That's not on It there. is not on this album. That's not. Yeah. It has some good features. Like, there's a great CeeLo Green feature on it. Allegedly... Uh, top, top Dog, or no, actually Swiss Beats, Swiss Beats, took to his Instagram saying that uh, him and, Ali- and his, I think they're married, or at least they're a couple, him and Alicia Keys are together, hmm. or at least they have a son together who's yeah. in Egypt and he's five years old. He produced the untitled number seven song on this album. Really? And then Top Dog Entertainment producer Soundwave took to Instagram to confirm this and actually posted a video of the kid <laughs> producing the beats. How old is the kid? Five years old. <laughs> and if you, I went on the, wow. the Wikipedia page for this album and in the pr- production credits for tra- track seven, Egypt is written down. Wow. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Yeah. It's, it's great. Yeah. It's very jazzy. It's very political. Another interesting fact I learned that, that I never realized before. Do you know what Kendrick's actual last name is? What? No. Duckworth. It is Duckworth. Shit. D-U-C-K-W-O. I think I knew C-K-W-O. Because I was looking for like the writing credits and it said Duckworth over and over again. I'm like, who the fuck is Duckworth? His actual last name is Duckworth. Wow. A track I think you should check out to see if you just agree with me. The second track, Untitled to... June 23rd, 2004. Hmm. It has an uncanny resemblance to David Bowie's Girl Loves Me. Really? Huh. Because it has like the weird out of world like jazz saxophone manically playing yeah. in the background. And they, they're both doing that thing with their voice where like, oh, oh, like. Yeah. Yeah. And Shit. What's interesting is if you look at the title of this song. It alleges that this was written in 2014. And Bowie has explicitly said that Black Star was heavily inspired from To Pimp a Butterfly. Yeah, yeah, that's now, what I was thinking. I, I wonder if he almost had access to these unreleased demos. Yeah. Because this sounds like Girl Loves Me. That's, wow, yeah. I haven't seen anyone online like make this connection yet. So, but yeah. Like the, the second I heard it, it was like, 
This is this sounds like Bowie's song. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, listening to anything else, or is that about it for you? That covers it. Okay. Besides just the the standards, you know me. Did you? you know me. So have you ended? Have, I can cut this out if you don't want to talk about <laughs> it. Did you end up listening to Animal Collective's new album? I at still have. I haven't like. I've heard every song once, and I liked it. But I haven't listened to it enough to like formulate a real strong. Opinion. I, I, I should probably listen to it again also. Yeah. But I'm not impressed. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's better than Centipede Hurts, but it's like too little, too late. I, I don't know. Yeah. It's. I don't seemed... know. Maybe maybe that's too premature for me to be saying. That, my but... first reaction reading it was like they kind of. I don't want to say safe. like if... it's very yeah. safe. Yeah. It seemed like it was like very like super playful, fun, fun, and they safe. They heavily rely on that vocal effect where like they stare like oh ah ooh ah ooh ah ooh. You, you know what I'm talking yeah. about? Like where like yeah. Avery sings and Panda sings like pretty much on top of it, and it kind of has this like singing in rounds effect. Yeah, I would say at least half the track from this album heavily utilizes that, and it kind of gets trite after a while. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Honestly, like Av Tear's voice, I've been a fan of, especially when he like screams. The, and the, man gets it, raw. the mania of it. Yeah, yes. I don't. Otherwise, it, it can sound very, very, very much like like a tenth grade like overexcited theater kid. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I gotta be honest. When he goes like raw, visceral, like kind of like strawberry jam fantastic and panda bear is like a little like angel choir boy and he should stick <laughs> and so sometimes they when they're sing together it's good other times it's a, just a bit of like a head scratcher so yeah the album i listened to i thought better than centipede hurts but it wasn't like a revelation i didn't have a revelation while listening to it well yeah. if you go and seriously listen to it and have any more thoughts we can come back to yeah it yeah no doubt premature no. evaluation yeah yeah all right let's move my on. favorite <laughs> uh, let's let's move on to our first track of this playlist laura by flogging molly off the 2006 album whiskey on a sunday Flogging Molly is an Irish-American seven-piece Celtic punk band from Los Angeles, California, and led by Irish vocalist Dave King, who hails from Dublin, Ireland. Celtic punk is punk rock mixed with traditional Celtic music, a genre that was popularized in the 1980s by the Pogues, a band of punk musicians in London who celebrated their Irish heritage. Yeah. Celtic punk bands often play covers of traditional Irish, Welsh, or Scottish folk and political songs, as well as original compositions using the common themes of politics, culture, religion, drinking, and working class pride. David King used to be the lead singer of a heavy metal band called Fastway with Motorhead's Fast Eddie Clark on guitar. Okay. And I oh, guess wow. he recently just reunited that band. Dave King is not the lead singer anymore. It's kind of it's Eddie Clark's project. Yeah. It was like in the in the eighties. King has stated that the band's name Flogging Molly came from a bar called Molly Malone's that faithfully supported the band at the very beginning. He said we used to play there every Monday night and we felt like we were flogging it to death. So we started calling the band Flogging Molly. Beautiful name. <laughs> the more I think about it. Yeah. I think <laughs> God it, it's damn. a pretty 
Well, and then like their their counterpart band, Dropkick Murphys. Yeah, they're right. they're both right, like right, right, right. bands about physically abusing right. someone <laughs> specifically, Molly and Murphy. Yep. Yeah. Getting yeah. fucking dropkicked and flogged. Fuck people, man. Let's hurt them. Yeah, Dropkick Murphys. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I. Not that everyone has to draw this line in the sand, but if you are one to do that, I'm a flogging molly person. Yeah. More so than drop kick. That's just me. In, I, in like a sentence, what, what would you say the difference is? Like just in intensity, heaviness? Uh, they're, they're both pretty intense. I feel like flogging molly is more of like they have a traditional Irish feel. Yeah. Whereas dropkick Murphy's is going for more of that like... Boston Irish aesthetic. Yeah. No, okay, that's so right. you know it's a little yeah. more Americanized, a little more broy, like that yep. shipping off to Boston song yep. that everyone fucking loves. Yeah, everyone. And knows. it's a great song. It gets you pumped up, but there's like there's that I don't know a sense of history with Flogging Molly. I feel like yeah. While I know they're except for like the lead singer, they're all not Irish people, but. I feel like I'm taking back to like 1800s Ireland. There's more roots, yeah. Yeah, yeah more roots. And like, I, that might just be me projecting onto them. Yeah. But that's how I feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I've I've seen Foggy Molly like three or four times live, also. So I nice. just, I, <laughs> I'm not sure if they still do it anymore. But so every year in St. Paul, Minnesota. They're on Harriet Island. There's a, a weekend-long festival called Irish Fest or Irish Fair. And I think it's Irish Festival because the the mayor of St. Paul is famously Irish and he loves celebrating the oh, Irish heritage. Nice. So they rent out. They take all. Harriet Island is just kind of this little slab of land in the middle of the uh, Hudson River or Mississippi. Mississippi. I think that's where. It, yeah. And it's it's in downtown St. Paul. And a bunch of. It's just this little fair. There's tons of Irish music and food and booths nice. where you can buy kilts and nice. Nice. tons of stuff. And it used to be, at least back when I was in high school, they wouldn't do it every year. But every other year, Flogging Molly would play at this festival every night for free. Wow. Just because they fucking support it. They That's played a awesome. free show. They were friends with the mayor of St. Paul. So nice. I got to see them live a bunch. And they just played these free fucking shows. And say what you will about punk Irish music, but one of the best fucking concerts you'll ever go to. Yeah. It's yeah, just the, the energy and the intensity and the camaraderie in the audience. Like, everyone's just fucking dancing. It, yeah. Great, great live show. Yep. Yep. Now... Personally, I think, you know, punk Irish music, it kind of gets old after a while. Like, listening yeah. to a whole album of it. See, yeah. You kind of feel like you're hearing the same song over and over see, again. See, that's, that's exactly what, like, I've seen, I don't, I maybe saw Dropkick Murphys a lot. I don't know. I've seen some, I've seen bands like, who identify as Celtic punk, no doubt influenced by Flogging Molly Live. And they make for fantastic live shows. Everyone's drinking, dancing, mm-hmm. it's great. But I kind of feel the same way. It's Steve Martin said it best. I love Steve Martin. He recently said about his stand-up comedy that he stopped doing. He said this, and I it was so perfectly said. He said, my comedy was conceptual. And once the concept was stated and realized it was over and I had to stop and I feel a, this genre 
it's a once you get that it's Celtic punk. You know what yeah. I mean? It's conceptual. Like, you, you realize should, it, then it's like, all right. You make like one, one album. Yeah, exactly. It's like it kind of, like a, yeah, like they have a couple songs which I dearly love, but like they have to be like in a playlist or put yeah. on on a whim. Like sitting down to enjoy a discography of Celtic punk. I don't think like, I could do it. I do. You not can only I. hear so much <laughs> about the old war and drinking and yeah. religion. Yeah. And, all right, so this song. Or this album, Whiskey on a Sunday, it's actually a DVD slash live-ish album. Mm. It, it it was it was like a special compilation that featured a mix of live and studio recordings, and most of the studio recordings were acoustic takes on their songs. And it also included a documentary about the band. Mm. The album art was done by Shepard Ferry, the Obama yeah. change guy, yeah. Andre the Giant Dobey. And it, act, it charted at 67 on the American Billboard Top 200 chart. It's actually been certified platinum by the RIAA. Damn. And this song, Laura, was actually the only original song to be featured on the album. Huh. Though there were, like, old bootleg live recordings of it, this is, like, the first actual studio recording of it. So the song appears to be loosely based on possibly a loved one dying or a relationship ending. I think it's about someone dying based off yeah. of the, the narrator's feelings towards this person. Yeah, some serious into some relationship. Some, some fans suspect that. that it might be a reference to King's ex-wife, hmm. though I couldn't find anything about if he actually had an ex-wife who died or not. Yeah. I and some people think it's like maybe a grandmother or an aunt or just a close loved one named Laura who passed away. Yeah, I it's a I think it's a good song. I really like the opening. Yeah, I uh, I really like the line and I could have danced on the sun, but my world came undone. Yeah, like that really struck a chord with me. Yeah, it's it's heartbreaking. It's emotional. It's also kick-ass and fast. Yeah, and I. I really like the intensity, but I almost think it kind of detracts from how somber this song is. Oh, yeah. what, did, what did you think of this song? Yeah, I, I, it was kind of, I had a hard time just listening to the song on its own terms. I'll admit that. Because the, I, I was trying to understand what is the genre of Celtic punk? What is that genre exactly? What is it... Does it make punk a little bit kind of like, not softer, but give it a sort of emotional anchor, a little bit like nostalgic, or or does it try? But then there's Dropkick Murphys that seem like they're just like drunk and screaming like ah bah, 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 bah. off to Boston. And I wasn't quite sure what I I wasn't quite sure how to digest this song. Like, but here's the thing: if I if I had been drinking a PBR Pounder three in at a you know. The aquarium in Fargo, where I'm from, and I heard this, I'd be like, yeah! <laughs> but I'm sitting down, I'm chewing over it, and I don't know exactly sober. what to make. Yeah. Sober. That's, that's, Which is surprising. Yeah, very surprising. <laughs> this show keeps me sober. I shuffle for my sobriety. That's the shuffle guarantee. <laughs> that's the shuffle guarantee, you motherfucker. <laughs> but, <laughs> but here's the thing. I just... I can't, yeah, I just can't quite tell what I think of Celtic punk. There's that idea of idiosyncrasy credit, where 
you can get away with shit because of one weird novel thing. And I can't tell if sometimes the Celtic makes it something very new or they just kind of use it as the one weird thing they got and they can get away with making what is otherwise kind of just your standard well punk music which is a little harsh i don't want to be i don't no. know why i'm being so harsh but i think that's fair yeah i because like if you really if you think about it too much like you break down like what is punk about it's about disestablishment yeah anarchy yeah bringing down political organizations what's the longest fucking punk song you've ever heard this was four wow. and a half minutes long so then i was like what if, <laughs> if you like think about it too much so you have these people who and especially celtic punk which sings about working class pride yeah and anarchy and bringing down the system yeah and then you realize that this is like a well-produced probably successful you know they probably make a decent amount of money yeah and no that's, doubt. now it's like they're benefiting and becoming what they're singing against yeah 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 i don't know i guess like if i squint at it and look at this song i enjoy it but you know if you over intellectualize it yeah, yeah. it's kind of bullshit but I, I mean that's the thing i mean like i dig it as like bar music you know what i mean but when something becomes commercialized commodified that whole business then then you gotta be more critical and i don't know where i stand on celtic punk as a genre it's odd but i'd have to listen to more but this song this song to me again it was it started out kind of like pop folk it kind of romantic sentimental you know the violin and kind of emotional and then it got heavy with just kind of your standard distorted guitars and then it just adds a kind of violin you know what I mean? Like, there's the violin to keep it Celtic. Keep it Celtic. Just to keep. And again, I don't want to be so mean. I have no idea why I'm Hashtag being so. Hashtag keep it Celtic. I have no idea why I'm being so cruel to this song. I'm submitting it to like <laughs> just the utmost scrutiny. But like, you get rid of the violin, and you make the guy's accent 100% American. And what does this sound like? Well, I yeah, I mean, I guess you're <laughs> talking about like what makes Celtic punk Celtic. Is it punk. just the violin? And is it just I think it's, it's also not. like you, you also have to like look at it contextually within the whole album. Yeah, true. Because you know true, you just true, pick true, out true. one song. Yeah, there's no Irish heritage injected into this. But like when you look at it in the context of the rest of the album, which there might be some like punk takes on traditional Irish folk yeah, songs. Yeah, it might make more sense. I think so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, this song. Dominic, hard on Celtic. Yeah, why am I being so hard on? I have no idea, man. I mean, I got Celtic roots, man. I don't know. Maybe that's why. Italian. It's in my DNA. <laughs> yeah, part Italian, part Irish. So I've been told. Well, you do have red hair. Which oddly came from the Italian side. I don't know how the hell that happened. Well, they spilled some pasta sauce on you. Yeah. Head, obviously. Oh, hey, oh, hey, we spilled a little the pasta oh, sauce. Oh, accidentally you spilled some. It's a tough laugh. You got the pasta sauce on your hair. So Floggy, I don't know, this song, I don't know, I have no idea why I was so cruel on this song. But I just kind of felt like it was, it was trying to have too broad of an appeal. There it is. Too broad of an appeal. Too broad of an appeal. The opening was kind of soft folk pop, and, and they used those Celtic convention to hit you in the emotion. Right in the feels. Right in the feels. And then it goes into what is otherwise pretty standard, you know, just like, distorted guitar it, but they keep the little violin and so they're it's 
I felt, I don't know. I couldn't tell if it was adding something new or if it was kind of using quirky stuff to have a broader appeal. I, I have no idea why I'm being so hard on I can respect. No, this no is, idea. I, it's because I asked you to critically <laughs> look at these songs. You're I doing feel it, guilty, You're doing man. exactly. I feel guilty. You should write them a letter apologizing. You guys, I'm sorry. I don't know why. Fuck him all. I guess uh, let's move on to the next track. All right. Get What You Need by Jet. <laughs> now this motherfucker. Shit, this is my jam. <laughs> Fuck Elton Funk. Give me the Jet. <laughs> Serve it up. Let's jet on over to Jet. <laughs> They're off there. So Get What You Need off their 2003 album. You better get what you need. Get born. <laughs> get born. Jet oh. were... An Australian classic rock-inspired band from Melbourne, Victoria. Until they all died, right? Didn't that? In a horrible jet accident. <laughs> what are the odds? A jet flew into jet. You know? They weren't even flying. They were just it's staying on the ground. Crazy. And the jet just landed on them. <laughs> fucking nuts, man. Very rock and roll. So they uh, they said when they were picking out a name, they wanted something short. So when it showed up on a festival advertisement, it would be large and bold in print. So mm-hmm. they arbitrarily picked Jet. Their sound was highly inspired by 1960s and 1970s classic rock, as well as inspired by the Australian alternative rock band UMI. Hmm. I've never heard of this band before. Yeah. And they said specifically their 1995 album, High Fi Way. Nick Sester, I believe that's how it's pronounced, the lead singer and rhythm guitarist of the band, said... High Fiway was the most important album of my generation. I think everyone our age who played guitar played UMI songs for the first time in front of their school assembly. Yep. That I was right here right here, bro. That I was the it. that was the record <laughs> that made you realize you could be in a, you could be in an Australian band. You didn't have to be gr- in a grunge band, and you didn't have to be influenced by American bands. It changed huh. everything. So that's I, interesting. I think he was that's specifically talking to Australian yeah. musicians. Okay. <laughs> do you feel like you can be in an Australian <laughs> band now? Yeah, I do, yeah. man. I just need to pick up that. Yeah. You, okay, interesting. High Fiway. Yeah. The album title, Get Born, actually has two conflicting origin stories that if you look on Jet's Wikipedia, it says one thing. And if you look on the Get Born Wikipedia page, it says another. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So the first claim is that the name was derived from the blockbuster action movie The Born Identity starring Matt Damon. (laughs) I wouldn't be fucking surprised. The second claims that it was derived from a lyric from a Bob Dylan song, Subterranean Homesick Blues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess it would make more sense that it was the latter. Yeah. But who knows? Uh, I, I'm pretty sure Dylan influenced the Bourne trilogy, so we're oh, all tracing the there same we go. line here. That, that's that's the mix-up right there. <laughs> yeah, there we go. We cracked it. I mean, we that movie it. is just in like an autobiographical story of Bob Dylan's life, right? If you know what to look for, it's pretty obvious. I, I gotta be that was his <laughs> Bourne phase, I <laughs> yeah. think is what they call it. Yeah, the but Dylan's Bourne phase. His Bourne Classic. Phase. Classic. Which he's still going through right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so, the the way that I first heard this band was with their song, Are You Gonna Be My Girl, which was featured in one of those classic iPod commercials yep. of the colored background yeah. with the black silhouette dancing. Yep. I, I was probably in middle school when I 
picked this <laughs> album up based off of I picked that. it up too. I bought it 2003, right? 2003. Yep. Say one, two, three. The iPod yeah. commercial is pretty good. I gotta be honest. Come on, 2003. Hey, Shit. it made it got two people to buy Shit. the album. Yeah. <laughs> so they kind of exploded after that. Yeah, they got pretty. They had that song and the Cold Art Bitch song and. Yeah, man. I feel like that's every yeah. jet song. You gotta yell, "Come on!" and "Yeah!" Come on! Yeah! Interesting little side note. I learned that when while the band was on a hiatus prior to breaking up, two of the members, Mark Wilson and Chris Sester, brother of lead singer Nick Sester, formed a band called Damn Dogs. All caps. D-A-M-N-D-O-G-S, which is a self-described doom disco band. Wow. Now, I listened to this album. Decent? Terrible? Is It was eh, and I did not hear any doom in it whatsoever, yeah. nor any disco. It kind of sounded like maybe a slightly edgier The Strokes. Oh, kind of okay. just like yeah. edgy, yeah. indie, dancey music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doom discuss. I take Doom descriptions very seriously. Yeah. And they fair, did not fair. deserve to title Doom on that. <laughs> I was expecting to like be blown away. Yeah. You fuckers. They only put out one EP and I guess they played like one live show and it went over like really poorly. <laughs> Damn dogs. Yeah. It's on Spotify if you're interested. Damn dogs. Damn Wait, dogs. the album's called? I don't Doom know. Disco? No. No, no. It's just that is how they describe how they disgu- yeah. describe the genre of the I, I don't remember the name. It's like of the EP, but yeah, it's called Damn Dogs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So on uh on March twenty sixth, two thousand twelve, a date that would go down in infamy, Jet announced their discontinuation as a group via their Facebook. As they would say, come on. Yeah. <laughs> so Pitchfork gave this album a 3.7 out of 10. <laughs> and the review is pretty funny. It's written as a dialogue between a show promoter and the band. I, I will post the review. I won't read you the whole thing, but I'll read you a little part that's relevant to this song. Mm-hmm. So this is a dialogue between a show promoter and Jet. Jet, you guys are covered in shit. What's going on out there? (laughs) They threw their shit at us. (laughs) The show promoter. Wow, I've never seen that happen before. I'm sorry about this, but you guys are going to need to come up huge. Do you have anything you can do? Jet says, we have a couple songs that sound like the Stones. Mm -hmm. The show promoter. Perfect. Everybody loves the Stones. (laughs) Just get out there and do them. Maybe throw in a song called Get What You Need, which theoretically would sport a pilfered Kinks guitar riff from All Day and All of the Night and a bass line kidnapped from The Temptations Get Ready. If there's one thing Americans love, it's a rock Motown. Just go give them some stones, which they love, then a little honky-tonk piano, because that's awesome, then close with some rock Motown. Oh my god, Jet, this is terrible. (laughs) Come here, stop playing. Listen, you guys are not going over at all. I can count all the people out there on one fist. You better nail out quick. Jet, 
dude, I don't understand. We sound like everyone's favorite old rock bands. Mm. We have insipid lyrics. We say, come on, and oh yeah, every five seconds. We have no discernible identity. And we're from <laughs> Australia. What could people possibly dislike about us? Show promoter. No idea, brah. Listen, <laughs> why don't you do one more song? Like, how, like, do a song about how DJs aren't actually musicians and you don't get how they pull tail. Jet. Oh, you mean rollover DJ? That one that goes, you've been playing other people's songs all night? Show promoter. Yes, that's exactly the song I'm talking about. In scene. Nice, nice, nice. So, wait, but for a fair representation, that was a bit of an outlier. If I remember right, this album at its time got medium to positive reviews from mainstream, I think. Yeah, it. it like I said, this yeah. it got huge. Yeah, it hit. It was part of like a momentary zeitgeist. I think somehow it, it found a place. And actually, pr yeah. prior to this album being released, the the Rolling Stones asked Jet to open for them on a tour. Wow! So yeah, there you go. They did have yeah. credibility. Yeah, yeah. So I I don't know. It, it's an all right song, especially like if you don't actively listen to it. <laughs> I I honestly have no fucking clue what the song is about it's you just them saying get what you need. get and come on over and over again like if you try if you try to like read into the lyrics the the two theories i have is a it's about someone who's homophobic because their girlfriend left them for another girl <laughs> Which is kind of what the first verse gets at. Because yeah. he talks about like a girl not picking up the phone because she's with another girl. Uh -huh. But then the next song makes it seem like it's them trying to steal someone else's girlfriend. I think if we are to place them in a tradition of music. It's probably the latter. Then it's, I think you better get what you need as in like, let me put my penis in your vagina. Come it, on. <laughs> Come on. Oh yeah, I, I yeah. I I honestly just think the the song is about yelling, "Come on and get what you need." Yeah. See, like, okay, when I this came out in two thousand and three, and I was thirteen, which means I was like one year in to downloading music off LimeWire, or was I? Dot dot dot. I was Maybe I say wasn't. don't. Don't self-incriminate yourself. Just kidding. I really wasn't. You should do what Martin did. And upon <laughs> advice of counsel, yeah. I respectfully decline yeah. to answer any questions. Well, order. this is a parody podcast. Okay. So. Got yeah. it. That's how we're, okay. that's how we're running it. Parody. Continue. Okay. And I was finally listening to bands like Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, The Kinks, ACDC, Thin Lizzy, Rolling Stones, etc., etc. And this came out, and it was like the only contemporary analog to that music i couldn't think of another and as a 13 year old i was like wow this is amazing but then you got to think about that for a second think about that in 2004 let's say this sounded like the kinks you really got me okay and that means this music sounded like music that was 40 fucking years old. 40 years old. This sounded 40 years old. In 1964, when the Kinks came out with that, 
for if they had made a song that sounded 40 years old, you'll have to post this. It would have sounded like 1924 Vernon Dalhart's The Prisoner's Song. That is a creepy country ballad that goes, Oh, I wish I had someone to love me. <laughs> just to give you a sense of how perverted it is for a song to come out and sound just like something, something that's 40 years old. 40 years old. That it's like perverted. It's just perverted. I don't know why that word comes to Ooh, mind. And then I should try to find something <laughs> that's even 40 years older than that then country. <laughs> Such as some like some like Gregorian <laughs> chanting from <laughs> monks or something. <laughs> There's just something very fucked up about something sounding literally 40 years old. Like dead on and adding nothing to it in whatever band they mentioned they're really talking about acdc australian they're the kings of the insipid lyric and just the guitar riff you know yeah but at least at least acdc had like the decency to like put darkness and like possible devil war like you know <laughs> there was there was there was a Highway to Hell, ACDC. Like, th there was no. there was a darkness to them. These guys are so fucking PC. Yeah, like, it they, was it was a full show with ACDC. Yes, it was full a showmanship, actual honest to god like guitar, little schoolboy uniforms. Yeah, they had they were whatever you think of them. I've seen them live. It was kind of terrifying shows, but whatever you think of them, they were like. Gen as genuine as you could maybe say a rock and roll band was they you know they were doing their own thing influential this i i just i can't even think of something else that sounds so much like something four decades old it's it's creepy it's creepy yeah no, I, I agree but i loved it when it came out yeah because i love that shit kinks and it's catchy yeah it's catchy it's catchy yeah. it's dumb it's pretty empty yeah but like i said like if you don't actively listen to it it's a, <laughs> it's a rocking yeah. song yeah but it is like blatantly just making money off of something someone it, else did i mean again not to like be an apologist for like 40 year old rock and roll now 50 now we're talking 50 year old rock and roll but like in the mid 60s Going on 60. yeah that's insane in the mid 60s like when the kinks did that it did if you can imagine that sounded like subversive and like crazy it sounded very different now it's so safe and even and i, I can't believe i'm gonna be an apologist for even lyrics like led zeppelin and all their songs save the ones that are about like lord of the rings are about like just busting a nut they're just, that's all they're about. But the only thing that can somewhat redeem them is that they belonged in a brief period of time. And I can't even believe I have to say this, but it's true. 1960s sexual sexuality was being reconceived in the popular media, right? So to say something like, you, you know, you're going to get what you need then would have a sort of historical significance of like, whoa. I can't believe someone's saying that. We're, you know, sexual revolution. To say it in 2003, I just, ugh. It's floating in a sea of sex. Yeah, it's just like, ugh. That we're constantly swimming through. Exactly, exactly. So it's just, it's, there's something, it's like perverted nostalgia. I don't get it.
It's capitalism. Yeah, it it's, really. It's money. Yeah, this is what was the kind of bands you mentioned like two shows ago that like weren't aren't even really bands. There's like corporate bands created. Oh, vape. Oh, uh, sugar pop. Yeah, this is almost like this is like a new version of sugar pop. Like they were or just like candy pop or whatever it was. Bubblegum bubble pop. Bubblegum bubble pop. pop. This is almost like bubblegum rock. There's like someone. The Illuminati is like, okay, guys, we need some money. Yep. Let's pump out some 40-year-old music. Maybe this really was. Do that. Okay, dude. 2003, 2004, we're invading Iraq. So what do you got to do? Distract the masses with some old sexuality. And Woo. jet, jet fuel, <laughs> jet. can't dude. melt steel beams. Oh, shit, dude. Jet fuel. Vapor, or uh, the uh, trails in the Vapor sky. chemtrails. Chemtrails. Oh, dude. I get you, Jet. Hitler's in there somewhere. We get, oh, we yeah. always got Italian Nazis and aliens. You play it backwards, it's just 666. Six, six. Yeah. Which, I mean, I thought that was just rock and roll, but now... You're going to 666 six what you need. <laughs> yeah. Come on, 666. Six, six. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Come on in <laughs> Oh, man. Right, you got any other thoughts on... No, it's there's something yeah parasitic about this song. I don't know. Not to be. I'm on a mean streak, but this song creeps me out. Okay, we're two for two. Dominic two for is two. hard. <laughs> hard on these. Just shooting them shooting down. Them down dude. Okay, let's see if we can do it again. Cause I know this <laughs> next song, Dominic enjoys this artist very much. True. Yeah, that's true. Next song, Asshole by Beck, mm-hmm. off of his 1994 album One Foot in the Grave. Beck. American singer, songwriter, producer, multi-instrumentalist from Los Angeles, California. Known for his sonically experimental style and for creating musical collages combining folk, funk, soul, hip-hop, alt-rock, country, and psychedelia. Mm -hmm. He has also been associated with the anti-folk movement, which seeks to subvert the earnestness of politically charged 1960s folk music. The music tends to sound raw and experimental, and generally mocks perceived seriousness and pretension in the established mainstream musical scene. Artists of anti-folk genre tend to observe the rules of music, but deliberately break them. Mm-hmm. Now this is much more relevant to Beck's earlier sounding music, yeah. which yeah, yeah. this song falls into. Yep. So, little some interesting facts about Beck. I didn't know this. Do you know anything about his parents? Yeah, 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 yeah. His father... <laughs> David Campbell is an arranger, composer, and conductor who's worked on over 450 golden platinum albums yeah. with artists such as Adele, Justin Timberlake, Muse, Michael Jackson, Alea, Evanescence, Linkin Park, Beyonce, Miley Cyrus, Dream Theater, and of course his son. And his mother, B.B. Henson, Hansen, I think, B-I-B-B-E, Bibby? Oh, yeah. Bibby Bibby Hansen is a performance artist, musician, actress, and former Warhol superstar. Yep. Yep, Now, for anyone who's not familiar, the Warhol superstars were a clique of New York City personalities promoted by the pop artist Andy Warhol during the 1960s and early 1970s. These personalities appeared in Warhol's artworks and accompanied him in in his social life, epitomizing his famous dictum, in the future, everyone will be famous for 15 minutes. Warhol would simply film them and then declare them famous. And yeah. <laughs> she was one of them. Then she yeah. fell out of it, moved to L.A., 
got with David Campbell. Scientology. And Beck was born. Yeah. And Scientology. Yeah. I, in the mix. I'm getting okay, there. Okay, okay, I'm okay, getting okay. there. So it, <laughs> I didn't know this either. Do you know that Beck's actual legal birth name is just B E K? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he added the C That's himself. Odd. I have no idea why. Yeah, I know nothing yeah. about and that. And he, he was born under his father's last name, though today he goes by his mother's last yeah. name. Beck Hansen. Yeah. Not Beck Campbell. Oh, yeah. They're Scientologists. <laughs> now, before, way in the early days of Shuffle, we spoke about Beck's Scientology, mm-hmm. and we speculated that maybe it was something he was kind of raised around but doesn't really practice anymore these days. I found out that is not the case. He, he is a Scientologist straight up from beginning to end or as of now as of now that's what I, okay so okay yeah so that's what i thought that's what i he, thought. here is a he famously doesn't speak of it that much yeah. but in an interview he did where he did speak of it he said and i quote yeah i'm a scientologist my father has been a scientologist for about 35 years so i grew up in and around it what it actually is is just sort of, uh, you know, I think it's about philosophy and sort of uh, all these kinds of, you know, ideals that are common to a lot of religions. There's nothing fantastical, just a real deep grassroots concerted effort for humanitarian causes. I don't know if you know the stuff they have. It's unbelievable the stuff they're doing. Mm-hmm. Education. They have free centers all over the place for poor kids. They have the number one drug rehabilitation program in the entire world. It has a 90-something percent success rate, which I'm not sure. This is not this is not part of the quote anymore. But when I got to this part of reading this, in big red letters across my eyes, I just kept seeing the word brainwash over and yeah, over. Yeah. That's my that's me though. I'm not. That's when did he say though that quote? I think you this know? was like in 2011. Yeah, that's what I thought. Because as far as I know, like during this early period, Odelay period, and even like Midnight Vultures, as far as I know, publicly he almost never spoke about. It. When he did, he just said like it was just something I grew up around. I don't know much about it, but it was just yeah. sort of there. But lately, he's said more. He's been talking yeah. more about it. Yeah, so no doubt. No the, doubt. The quote goes on to say. When you look at the actual facts and not what's just conjured in people's mind, it's all bullshit to me because I've actually seen this stuff firsthand. And it, it should be noted, he's also a self-identified Jew. So mm-hmm. he considers himself both Jewish and Scientology huh. at the same time. Huh. So I, I... Hybrid. I shouldn't speculate. <laughs> it, it, it is what it is. Someone's got it. Someone either has or they should do like some kind of study about like the demographics who became Scientologists because first not again not to get too off track here but there's been so many new religious movements from like 19 like 40 especially post World War II to like today tons and tons and tons of like you could say cults small religions etc Scientology especially you could say preyed upon or found its niche in like like the petite bourgeois of Hollywood like the like the 
It's like an elitist thing. Yeah, it's like people that want to be famous and they're like, we'll kind of help them. And some of them, most of them don't get that famous, but some do, like Tom Cruise and etc. John Travolta. But it's a lot of people that like wanted to be, that aspired. I feel like, yeah, I feel like he was he was kind of hopelessly sucked into that because yeah. his parents got famous. Yeah, because I don't feel like he's someone that actively seeks fame. Yeah. I think he just happens to be a creative genius, yeah. and he just so happened to grow up in Scientology. Yeah, yeah. I don't think he's, like, scheming. Yeah, yeah, same, same. So, another interesting fact. He fought Bjork... In MTV's Celebrity Deathmatch, if you remember that show <laughs> yeah. of claymated celebrities fighting each yeah, other, yeah, yeah, they had a battle of the best monosyllabic musician of all time, <laughs> which ends with both of them being killed by Bach, who appears <laughs> via time machine and slays both of them. I'll, nice. I'll post the video of it. it it's pretty entertaining. That's it. So the the year that this album came out, One Foot in the Grave, which was 1994. He also released two other albums that year, Mellow Gold and Stereopathic Soul Manure. And this is also the same year that Loser came out and charted as number 10 on Billboard 100 or whatever. Yep. And to like bring it all into view, he was 24 years old. Yeah, yeah. Like, holy crap. Yeah. I- See, yeah, because I think like... This was recorded. This a lot of the music on this album was recorded before Mellow Gold. But I think I think maybe you did more research he on this. Put but Mellow, Mellow Gold, Gold yeah. that came out first, and that was like a kind of, if I remember right, kind of critical underground darling, like critically acclaimed, kind of more popular than he thought it would be. And then he rushed out this album and another one of songs that were kind of, I think, a little more raw. He yeah. probably would have never really, yeah, to kind of, and if, again, not to get too much in his biography, but I think that was like a kind of almost a business move to help him be able to make Odile. That's a little bit Actually, what I've always there's, understood. there's like a lot of people that speculate that. Yeah. Like, this was a huge effort to make Odile. Yeah, because yeah. Mellow Gold is fucking brilliant. The two stuff he threw out, those are just kind of like, to me, they were just kind of like raw B-sides that he's like, all right, I can make music. Trust yeah. me, here's like, a little more money. Hardcore <laughs> hipsters like the Needle Drop, the YouTube music reviewer, will claim that this album is his favorite Beck album. You know, I don't even consider it. I always go Mellow Gold, Odile, one, two. You skip the two. In I don't between. even cons- I consider these just like basement tapes, fucking around style. in the studio. What shit? Yeah, and. First, Wait, the Neil Drop guy says this is his favorite. He, he said it's possibly his favorite. Oh album. god, that hurts. That's too much hipster for me. For uh, for someone associated with the do-it-yourself lo-fi scene, this album is considered his most do-it-yourself lo-fi of all of his albums. Yeah. One Foot in the Grave features the production talents and songwriting talents and occasional backing vocals of K Records founder Kelvin Johnson, who also has popped up on this podcast on an episode that Dominic wasn't in for his early work with Modest Mouse and oh. Built to Spill and wow. kind of like the Olympia, Washington okay. or Olympia, Oregon. Wherever Olympia is, that, <laughs> that music scene, he kind of... K, K Records was a famous 
lo-fi do-it-yourself indie records place from the pacific northwest and he kind of is known for kind of help bringing modest mouse and built to spill to the public side. nice so nice. he worked close with beck on this this record another interesting fact tom petty and the heartbreakers covered this song asshole for the soundtrack for the movie the 1996 movie she's the one wow 90s were a weird decade, yeah. man. <laughs> and I, I listened to it. I'll post it. And it literally, it sounds exactly like Beck's version, version except huh. it's Tom Petty singing instead of Beck. Huh. And it's pretty, like, you have, they sound kind of similar. Yeah. Like, yeah. I yeah. really had to listen and be like, oh, this isn't Beck. <laughs> this is Tom Petty. Yeah. So uh, what, what did you think of this this track? Uh, To be honest, I don't think it's a particularly good song. I would never say this is like a must-listen-to Beck track. The only kind of li- listenability to it, if that's a word, I would say is only because of like kind of its historical significance. It could, you know, I mean, it, it's a sort of that mellow gold. That album is fucking masterpiece. And it is like the slacker folk, psychedelic, experimental, anti-folk, for sure. I mean, he they called he never, as far as I know, embraced the idea of slacker what was it slacker pop or slacker well, he rock. got labeled as yeah like the slacker wave or slacker pop or slacker rock but i mean he, his especially those early that mellow gold like he just sounds like sedated kind of observational high as yeah. fuck man and like given the genre he's working in that's typically very earnest folk very earnest and he's sounding kind of sedate just observational he sounds almost some of the like especially like like in the loser yeah, it's, it's, or like uh, I don't know, like stream of conscious lyrics yeah. almost. Yeah, like, yeah. Getting funky with the cheese, with like he's just like <laughs> saying things almost. Yeah. it feels like. So yeah, I mean, I gotta say this this song is like part of that. And again, I'm a humongous Beck fan, so I'm biased. But the reason I've always liked him is because he always has some critical distance from the genre that he's participating in. Uh, or you always get the sense that he understands very well the genre that he's in, and he just somehow implants himself into it without assimilating into it. If that makes any sense. Yeah. And and this song is not the best example of that, to be honest. This is like two minutes long. It's very short. It's very short. The lyrics are, there's not that many lyrics. They have interesting imagery, borderline nonsense, kind of surreal. smoking themselves. Yeah, but again, I could list a hundred Beck songs that would demonstrate <laughs> his lyrical ability with music better. So to me, it just sounds like a track that he would have made in like a six-month period while trying to make something like Mellow Gold. He looks at all the songs and goes, this one not gonna make the cut and that was a very prudent decision <laughs> and that's the to me that's it you know what yeah. I mean? so so this is a song that's not it's not particularly good i gotta be honest it's i very, love that it's very simple yeah it's very straightforward it's just yeah. about some girl who is kind of vindictive <laughs> yeah i mean i could try to read a lot into it you know there's not there's not but, that much there to read though there's no exactly. substance yeah i don't know it's like you said, it's interesting. I feel like 
unless you're a diehard Beck fan, you probably wouldn't be caught even listening to this, let yeah. alone would you know about his, its existence. Like you said, it sounds like some, like, B-Sides rarity collection yeah. song. Yeah, it does. Like, oh, Beck was just messing around on the guitar in the studio one day, and we accidentally were recording, and... Yeah. I mean, it's just a... Cre- I mean, it's just crappy acoustic guitar. I mean, again, like, the... Be- it's interesting how like you can hear the strings slapping on the wood almost as much as you can hear the pitches coming mm-hmm. out of the strings. I mean, it's just like shitty, like, which again gives you the sense of that aesthetic. But it, this is not the best realization of that aesthetic. Maybe the song is about you, and you're making him feel like an <laughs> asshole right now. I know, but it's the asshole he knew he was. Yeah. Whoa. But again, this Shit. is the kind of song that you would be playing in your car, in. Nine out of ten people who would then come into your car would say, "What the fuck? Turn this off. This sounds terrible." Wait, how often are you just sitting in your car and there's people coming in and out? Yeah, I did this for two weeks (laughs) in preparation. I did a study, but it's just you know, this is just it doesn't sound like particularly great music. Yeah, dull. It's not the best. Whoever says this is one of their favorite Beck songs, albums. He wasn't specifically talking about this song, but he said "One Foot in the Grave." Which I guess is like I didn't realize this, but it's like allegedly a semi-concept album about the apocalypse Could or something. Be. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's like yeah, do-it-yourself blue. Gr- I don't know. Like it, it almost sounded like he was trying to like just because of the time this came out, trying to emulate like neutral milk hotel almost like could especially be. with that like line like cigarettes smoking themselves. Yeah, that could be. That could be. But. He's got a lot of lines about cigarettes, like throughout all his discography. Yeah, that too. Like I said, I, don't know I'm, what, I, yeah. I doubt he was trying to. He was inspired by or was even thinking about Nutrimilk Hotel. But I just yeah. that's that's a connection I made. Yeah, no doubt. And, and actually, Nutrimilk Hotel didn't get really big till the later '90s, so that doesn't even make yeah. sense. But but I mean, yeah, it's Nutrimilk Hotel would be a better example of maybe lyrics fitting in what i don't know if neutral milk hotels ever been described as anti-folk i don't think he fits perfectly no, into that genre but yeah he follows it, the rules too much yeah follow, maybe follows the rules too much but yeah in, in terms of like stream of conscious imagery with guitar in the 90s this song is not the best example so yeah, it's a, again. I love Beck. Okay, listen to fucking Mellow Gold. It's such a good. We album. are we are Ooh. three for three. This on, con, on, <laughs> on Dominic's <laughs> no list. I'm so, shooting them down, man. Let's see what happens with the next one. Next song, Post Physical by Picture Plane off the 2011 album, The Physical. Picture Plane, whose real name is Travis Edgy, Edgedy. E-G-E-D-Y. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say edgy, just probably edgy. He's an American electronic musician currently based in Brooklyn, New York, although he originally hails from Rhinoceropolis, which is in Denver, Colorado. I just <laughs> get... Rhinos. Just take a seat and get ready for this. <laughs> so, uh, Rhinocer- Rhinoceropolis is a giant warehouse on the outskirts of Denver, Colorado, and it's used as an art studio, a concert venue, an art gallery, and it's also like a place where artists live. And he he lived Lived there. there. And overall, it's just like this huge DIY, anarchist, counterculture, collective hangout space. Real badass, real edgy. So at the time, 
Travis, I believe he went to like the University of, of Colorado or something. He went to some school for visual arts, graduated, and ended up living at this place as a visual artist residing there. And he kind of, as he describes, accidentally kind of became the house DJ for that place. So like, mm-hmm. if anyone was just hanging out, he'd start playing music. He kind of started help like schedule the concerts to be played there. If there was ever any gaps in shows, he would play his own music. So he kind of accidentally started making music. Yeah. There's actually a pretty great documentary on YouTube about Rhinoceropolis. 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 I'll, I'll post it if anyone's curious. So that that's that's where his roots come from. He's associated with, I guess, the dark wave genre. Dark, okay. Uh, dark wave genre that began in the 1970s, coinciding with the popularity of new wave and post punk, and it built off those basic principles. But dark wave added kind of dark, introspective lyrics and undertones of sorrow, and it closely associated kind of with the goth movement. Mm-hmm. Though Picture Plane has referred to his music as goth tech, blood techno, goth EDM, no wave, as in K-N-O-W, wave, (laughs) alien body, next stage, future garage. Alien body? Alien body? Alien body is a genre that he's used. It's also... (laughs) I love that. He loves alien body. He has like a whole fashion line which is called Alien Body. He makes wow. tons and tons of t-shirts and clothing. Wow. And it's called Alien Body. Wow, wow, wow. Next stage, Future Garage, Suicide Pop, Black Acid, and of course, Witch House. Yeah. Now, which he coined maybe? Correct. Okay. It is wow. well, it is highly speculated that he coined the term Witch House. I'm impressed huh. you knew that. Uh, Wikipedia. So <laughs> He's been credited with coining the term witch house. He stated, It's a joke. Myself and my friend Shams were joking about the sort of house music we make, calling it witch house because it's like occult-based house music. I did this best of the year-end thing with Pitchfork about witch house, and I was saying that witch house bands were going to be huge in 2010, and it's 2010 is going to be the year of witch house, and it took off from there. But at the time that I said Witch House, it didn't really exist. And since then, even hmm. if it started off as a joke, it's... Wilded into being, It man. has been decontextualized and is now a genre that describes slow-down goth lo-fi that's kind of like a shoegazy take on yeah. R&B music. A famous artist now associated or at one time associated with, with Witch House. With Witch House, house uh, ooh, which is a bunch of O's. <laughs> Uh, Balamakov, Calm's Casino, Holy Other, Evian Christ. There, there's a great late... early Grimes. Yes, kind of? early Grimes. Okay, definitely early Grimes. Early Grimes. Right. Her first two albums for sure. Okay, I thought you had said that once. Yes, All right. her first two albums for sure. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, though Pitchfork's Larry Fitzmaurice, Marcy Fitzmarcy has described especially this album, The Physical, as a ear-bleeding take on 1990s Diva House Electro. (laughs) So on his website, he has his own manifesto, which is dubbed The, he loves The, T-H-E-E, The Technomancer Manifesto. Technomancer. It's very long. 
There's a video of him reciting it, which I'll post, as well as like this proclamation poster. But I'll read you my favorite excerpt from it. And th this statement right here should embody everything you need to know about this guy. <laughs> we are the hyper-style street trash, committing acts of shamanic vandalism, vicious terrorist poets, divine violence, and riot porn arousal. Naked subversion of your death condition. The civilized death trip. Can you trip like we do? Your hardware is soft. Memory simulation. A collective mythology hardwired into our genetic makeup. The youth is megalithic and the moonlight is sculpture. Energy consciousness. Uploaded mind. Living forever in a forest cathedral. Anarchy and ecstasy. Both start starting inverting symbolic truths of a world on fire. Radical chaos. Chaos radical. The galactic serpent. Apocalyptic vision dwelling on the threshold, reduced to the status of ghosts. We fuck on the ashes of Ferraris. A pure heart is a threat. You hide behind sick machines, pure harsh real acceleration. Oh my God. Maniac cops, smoke screens and touch screens, the walking dead. A war on consciousness from the reptile dysfunction. The postmodern condition turning gold to shit. We are nihilist, Lebowski. And we believe in nothing. <laughs> that's the and only that, thing I can fucking that's, think. And <laughs> I, I will say, I probably read about a fourth of this thing. Oh and he memorized this whole thing. He's, wow. he, he recites it. Wow, really? Did. So that, that, is, that is the perfect embodiment of this guy. <laughs> he, uh, God he, uh, so this album, The Physical was actually pro, uh, co-produced by Jupiter Keys, who is the guitarist and keyboardist of one of my favorite bands of all time, Health. No, oh, wow, really? And actually, yeah. that's that's how I learned about this guy. So going back to huh. that huh, potential huh. ICP-related thing. Oh, shit. I don't know if I talked about this on the podcast or not. There was a infamous concert I saw at the 7th Street Entry, which is a small venue off to the side of 1st Avenue in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Yeah. I saw Health Picture Plane, a guy named Juicebox, who is a white rapper from Milwaukee, who probably put on the most punk rock show I've ever seen in my life. Nice. So I saw those three bands together. That's how I found out about Picture Plane. And while I was seeing them in the 7th Street, next door at 1st Avenue, Insane Clown Posse was playing. <laughs> Did I talk about yeah, this? Yeah, you mentioned it maybe yeah. like first. The, the sidewalks were literally sticky with Fago. Oh, there were God. just there were juggalos outside of the venue just dumping Fago on themselves. Like we walked out of the concert and our shoes were sticking to the sidewalk. God damn it. And like gross. there was this there was this intense vibe that you couldn't quite put your finger on, but everyone <laughs> could feel it. And like Picture Plane actually became like obsessed with ICP after that show. Like he was tweeting about it for days and and the, not like being mean about it. No, just no, like it was interested. just like yeah, intrigued wow. and infatuated with huh. this otherness of them. And I'll post a picture. There's a pretty great. He committed pretty hardcore a picture of picture plane dressed up as a juggalo. Oh god! With like makeup and ICP jersey and like a butcher's knife in his hand or a hatchet in his hand. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, so that's I saw a picture playing live. That's how I found out about him. There, there's mm. a there's a music video for this song. I don't know if you watched it. Or yeah, not. yeah, 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 yeah. It uh, 
it kind of is this. It looks like an early glitchy VHS tape, and it is a juxtaposition of a video of like a couple who slowly get covered in fabric, and they're like making love, and then they like disappear and they shed their skins, and this is all juxtaposed with shots of picture plane singing while at an amusement park. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I, th this song lyrically seems to be questioning how we know people are real. How do we know that other people exist? Where does one person begin and another end? I, I guess it's kind of slightly metaphysical. No, it's post-physical. Post <laughs> so what did you think of post-physical? I think that it is a very bad song. Again, I hate to just four like shoot them all down, but four for four. But I I resist strongly what I consider to be pitchfork propaganda that went on from like I don't know 2000 to like 2008 maybe. You correct me if I'm wrong here. That just seemed to privilege lo-fi do-it-yourself music. Do Do you think that's kind of fair? No, oh, you don't I, have to say it's propaganda. I think that. Saying it ended like look at or the, maybe it's the, still look going at the on. score they gave the life of Pablo. Yeah, okay. See that see there, to me there's something very I just and I'm just, I mean like upper class white privileged as fuck sensibility when you say we're gonna be shitty by choice. This is like the oldest form of like cultural appropriation. It's like we are so well-to-do that now we can be shitty by choice and to me it's all just kind of like wink music like they're winking like wink core i'm putting it on it's wink it's all wink core there you just said it. it's all wink core wink music wave. Yeah, it's like i'm look at me i'm playing low production did it myself shitty it doesn't sound good get it wink 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 and i resist that i i, I think that i mean fuck Fuck you. I, I think that's so... I hate that shit. Like, no one originally would ever play lo-fi by choice, right? You don't want to. If you could play anything, you would pick the best production to suit to suit whatever sound you're going for. And to just do low-production lo-fi by choice in and of itself to praise do-it-yourself. I, I just have a sort of, like axe to grind with that so maybe that made me a little too harsh on this but i didn't like it i can respect that this to me was like embodied that like what this is like ugh, ugh, ugh. i think it's maybe a, i'm being mean i think maybe it's very mean. pretentious yeah especially it is. like the lyrics but i'm a sucker for electron like fringe electronic music yeah I, I, I dig this song. I completely understand your perspective. And I also like completely like if I think too much about what he's saying, it's just like, fuck you, man. We are all pure. We are all post-physical. But from like a purely sonic <laughs> level, I enjoy listening to it. Though I feel like if you're going to sing something that is so deep and thought provoking, yeah. don't sing the same five lines over and over again. Yeah, like, it's he, the same. It's so repetitive. He, it's the exact same yeah. like little set of same lines, just repeated six times. Yeah, yeah. So it. I mean, the meanest thing I can say about it is, it sounds like, like if 
just gross white trash people hillbillies took molly this is like the soundtrack that would go through their head hillbillies making out on molly this is the soundtrack <laughs> you think a hillbilly would say post physical if they were on molly to me it has this like just like this ugh, ugh vibe to it I, that's a me that's no, why he has yeah his music is like highly sexual he's yeah, it's like, like very adamant about that yeah it's just like there's just ugh, the vocal the vocals aren't good yeah, traditionally. No, he's not a great singer, and yeah. his voice is very empty and weak. And yeah, it's just kind of like drum timpani, lo-fi synth, brooding bass rhythm. Not a very good voice. Very annoying lyrics. Witch House. <sighs> it, I mean, this is me being na- mean and nasty, but like Tim and Eric. It sounded like a Tim and Eric song, maybe, or like a Bruno. Sash Baron Cohen's character Bruno. This is but like he's a, being serious. <laughs> but this guy's being serious. It has a kind of like Eastern European house dance vibe that's very watered down. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I there's something about this song that just really rubbed me the wrong way. Wow. Or for am I being too mean? Do you think I'm being unfair with it? Am I am I overreading this song as representative of something I already hated? Maybe I am a little bit. I guess, well, no, like, if you heard it, I think it's completely fair. I've never associated picture playing with, like, the lo-fi movement or sound. Yeah. Like, maybe I'll re-listen to it and it's going to be ruined for me now. Yeah. Like, I was like I was just, I was, like, independent, do-it-yourself kind of electronic music that is not Dead Mouth 5 overproduced dubstep stuff. Yeah, see, so maybe it was a necessary movement. I don't, yeah. Maybe, maybe, yeah. Because I don't, I never really listened to electronic music in general. So maybe to not understand the excessive overproduced music, I can't appreciate this music. But then, then it raises the question, like, what's the point of music? Not to get too philosophic. What's What's, the point of music? And what's the point in having a podcast What's the point of having, what's the point of life, Mama? I don't know. No, I I don't think you're being... I asked you for your yeah. earnest thoughts on this. It, seems like, it seems like Wink Core. Wink Core. It's Wink Core. I, like, do, I do like that Wink it's Core. Wink, yeah, you coined it. That's perfect. It's Dude, Wink Core. It's like, gonna... get it. Because you can't... If someone... if Like, imagine, like, a friend of yours who is, like, in a time... You know, like, totally gone for, like, the last 10 years. Isolation tank. Came and listened to this. And he was... His first reaction would probably be like, this is really weird, kind of shitty. And then you'd have to, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like you'd have to explain, look, this is part of this movement, and there's this whole thing against this and against that. And only then can he fully get it. And to me, that's kind of, that's wink core. Like, get it? Get it? Yeah. Though, I guess the one thing I would have to say about them is like, at least with like picture playing and like the crowds that he runs with, I feel like if you had someone like Kanye, who's like, like he doesn't, they're playing for their friends. Like he's yeah. playing for his audience. He's not yeah. like trying to be something he's not. And you know, if Pitchfork wants to like perpetuate something, that's true. Shame yeah. on them. Yeah. yeah. It's like, like I just think about like them all hanging out in this warehouse and probably doing drugs and playing music <laughs> that they love. And like they're completely content just doing that. Yeah. And it's everybody else. It's like 
music commentary, music journalism. That's like bring it on, be like, look at how brilliant this is, and then yeah. I understand your reaction, be like, oh, fuck you, this is this yeah, is horseshit. No, that that's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. Part of it is, I think, part of my critique is just like everything built around this type of music, not necessarily the music itself. So. I guess let's let's see if we're five for five. Let's move <laughs> on to the last song. <laughs> last song is Hans Zimmer. Yeah. Before you die, you see the ring by Hans Zimmer. I, I incorrectly said it was by four people last time. I realized that there were a, a collective that did the soundtrack for the ring. This song specifically was just by Hans. Okay. So it's simply him. This is off of the 2005 The Ring slash The Ring 2 original motion picture soundtrack. Hans Zimmer is a German composer and record producer from Frankfurt. Since the 1980s, he's composed music for over 150 films, including The Lion King, which he won the Academy Award for Best Original Score. Can you feel... The, the Pirates of the Caribbean. That's Caribbean. him singing. Right? Yeah, that's him. <laughs> I think he also wrote Rocket Man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, he did the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, uh, The Thin Red Line, Gladiator, The Last Samurai, The Dark Knight trilogy, Inception, Interstellar. He, he's in with Christopher Nolan, I guess. He's the head, he's head of the film music division at DreamWorks Studios. He's, as well as winning his Oscars, won four Grammys, three Classical Brit Awards, and two Golden Globes. Damn. And the Daily Telegraph has named him number 72 on their list of top 100 living geniuses. Wow. So The Ring, wow. in case you're not familiar, is a 2002 American supernatural psychological horror film directed by Gore Verbinski, starring Naomi Watts. And it is a remake of the 1998 Japanese horror film Ringu, which is based off of a novel called Ring by Koji Suzuki. Mm. The film grossed over $249 million on a $48 million production budget, making it one of the highest grossing horror films of all time. And I just found out they're actually making a third one. It's coming out this October, and it's called Rings. Damn. And interesting fact I found out about this. I, I had no idea. While they were marketing and promoting the film before it came out, so the summer leading up to the movie's release, during late night TV programming, they would play the cursed videotape from the movie just in the middle of programming with really? no mention of the ring. Like, no, didn't say like the ring coming to movie. They would just play the tape and cut back to normal. I'm like, holy wow. shit. That is a great. That's amazing. Like, I'm sure everyone just took the internet <laughs> looking stuff up. They're like, like, what the fuck just happened to my. Creepy as fuck, too. Wow, that's genius. That's, that's clever. To this day, The Ring is probably the scariest movie I've ever seen. Like, yeah. that yeah. went back in middle school when I saw it. That movie fucked me up. Yeah. Hardcore. Yeah. And I didn't see it till later in life, but it's creepy as hell. So, what yeah. did what did you think of this song? Uh, it part I thought it was okay. It's hard to listen to a soundtrack without the visuals because I, I mean, you gotta agree. The sound uh, this it is scored to accompany visuals. Yeah. Right. So I mean, so you're you're missing something, you know. So, but to me. It, I could kind of it was a chance to kind of reflect on Hans Zimmer a little bit and it seemed like this song had three themes that were recurring throughout it yeah it kind of almost felt like a 
like an overture. Yeah. Like yeah. when you go to a play and before it starts, they kind of play like all of this, like a little medley of all of the songs. Yeah. It kind of felt like that. Yeah. 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 So what are the three I thought that... I thought there was the kind of like the tense thrill theme, like, uh, you know, like creepy drone scratching violin. Thing. And then there's the kind of innocent theme with the piano. The kind of humanity, sentimental, childlike. Yeah. And then, like children's and then there's like the inquisitive. There's something that sounds very inquisitive, like, like on the precipice of a great reveal. There's something that sounds like. Yeah. And to me, that that's a very. Those three themes are all very Hans Zimmer, like the dun 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 which is from Inception. Inception and the Dark Knight. Yeah. Like you're about something big. Something big's gonna. Is happen. about to happen. Just the, on the. Which I thought, yeah, it is kind of. Those no, but I agree. There was like a, like I even wrote this down. There was like kind of like a sense of awe and wonder. Yeah, yeah, curiosity, yeah. wonder. Which yeah. It, yeah. all three of those emotions you listed or movements are like central to the story of yep. the ring. So yeah, it shows you that Hans knows what he's doing. Yeah, he. It, kn- yeah, it's a very yeah. cinematic and visual song. Yeah, it invoked yeah. like fear curiosity and eeriness yeah like, you know because it's about a, it's a movie about a woman a journalist trying to discover what happened and horrifying things are happening to her and it's about a creepy little girl yeah like, little, yeah exactly exactly so like, I, for me someone who's terrified by this movie as a <laughs> younger person i i mean i thought this song was great but it's also like seven minutes of post-traumatic stress syndrome for me. Like, sitting alone listening to this, I kept, like, nervously glancing at my television. Yeah, and I Half expecting it to turn on with static. Yeah, (laughs) and I would never... I I mean, honestly, I I don't think there's many Hans Zimmer songs I would ever listen to just on their own. Some. I think there's some, no doubt. But most of them, they're just, you know, they were scored for to accompany visuals. And that's exactly... For what it is, it's great. Yeah. Yeah, for what it is, it's... There is something a little interesting about like, like he he clearly knows how to like, just like craft quick, pithy, right to the point emotion in sound, like thrilling, curious, awe, innocence. Yeah. Again, and then it just to me it just kind of ebb and flowed between them. So you kind of liked it. So I kind of liked it. I again, I'll so be honest. Four and a half for five. I gotta be honest. I would probably never listen to these songs. Any of them. So if you had to pick a favorite, would it be the Ring one? That do I have to pick a? Yeah, I we should always pick a have favorite. to pick a favorite. So yeah, it would be. What is? What was your most enjoyable listen of the five? I feel like that or like the Flogging Molly song. I mean, honestly, I mean. Or Jet? That Jet song was jet. the shortest. <laughs> no, God damn. <laughs> no, I, okay. No, 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 no. Hans Zimmer, I mean, it was... There was the most to chew on. Yeah, there was the most to chew on. Although, yeah, kind of a weak, a weak selection of Zimmer. I'd, I'd probably have to go with the Flogging Molly song just because, like, I have, like, a... A soft spot in my heart for them. That's it makes fair. Makes me think of yeah. high school and seeing them in concert. And I would say they're my yeah. second. It would go. It would go. Hans Zimmer, Flogging Molly, Beck. Picture playing. I, I yeah. I got picture playing. And then Jet. Yeah. 
Okay. <laughs> You're about to kill me. You're oh. like, are you going to fucking pick Jet over <laughs> picture you, plane? I respect your... No, I can't go. I can't okay. go that far. Jet, that's like a... That's like a sin. It's <laughs> like a, a sinful music. Picture plane. There's sacred music. Picture plane is just wink core. Wink core. Yeah. Yeah. You coined that. You gotta make a Wikipedia. I will. I'll make an entry for it. You gotta help me. Yeah. yeah. It. <laughs> well, that wraps things up. All right. Uh, please continue to send us submissions of tracks, genres, and whatever that you'd like us to talk about. You can send it to any of our social network things. Also, please check out the Game Cave podcast, which I'm on, that my friend John hosts if you want to hear me talk about video games. Other than that, here are the playlists for episode, or here's the playlist for episode 15. Now What by Jerry Martin, Blind Spot by C418, The Six Million Dollar Sandwich by The Dead Texan. Not in Love by Crystal Castles featuring Robert Smith of The Cure. And the last song is Crestfallen by Plus Slash Minus. Hmm. So go ahead and listen to those. Other than that, I hope you guys have a good week and thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.